But I remember my first night in the psychiatric hospital. I had no, I was, I'm in a room, there's no locks, they take away everything you could hurt yourself with. I remember thinking this morning, I was trusted with a national television show. Tonight, I'm not trusted with a hairdryer. Um, but the only two words I could squeeze out that night were simply these, help me. And this subject that, that we're talking about today, the, the struggle that so many people have mentally and emotionally with anxiety, with depression, that's something that you know a lot about. In fact, you've, you've really talked often publicly about your personal struggle with clinical depression, and you've written lots of resources to help people with these mental and emotional struggles. For those who aren't familiar, can you just briefly share your story with them? Sure. I was born on the west coast of Scotland, a small fishing town, and raised by a Christian mum and dad, which wouldn't be unusual in America, but very unusual in Scotland, where probably less than 2% of our population even go to church. But when I was five years old, my father had a massive brain aneurysm, which changed his personality. And he went from being this loving, kind, Jesus-loving dad to this frightening stranger. Um, and on the very last day he spent in our home, my father tried to bring his cane down on my skull and I fought back. And he was taken off that day to um, our local psychiatric hospital where eventually he escaped and died by suicide. And back in those days, you didn't talk about things like that. In fact, it was kind of a disgrace that a Christian would be hospitalized. So my dad was buried in an unmarked grave and we left the town and we never talked about it again. And when I gave my life to Christ when I was 11 years old, and my mom told me that God was my heavenly father. I remember thinking, I've got one more chance to get it right. Whatever my earthly dad saw in me that made him hate me, my heavenly father is never going to see that. I'm going to be the perfect Christian if it kills me. Um, and I almost did. I mean, I, I went to seminary in London. Then I worked with Billy Graham. Um, then I came to America and I co-hosted a program called The 700 Club for five years with Pat Robertson. But one day... Um, on live television, everything began to unravel and I started to cry and couldn't stop. And by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital, same age as my father. Wow. Wow. What a, what a, what a tragic and, and, and heartbreaking story. And yet I bet there are so many people who can say that they have a version of that that they're dealing with and they're trying to cope with it. What, what, I mean, that, that, sank you into depression, um, mental struggle? What, what, did, what did the road to healing look like for you? You know, it's so interesting because my absolute commitment was, was to try and please God in everything. And even though I could feel myself sinking a few weeks before, I just didn't know what it was. So what I decided to do was I took a little time off work and I fasted and prayed for 21 days. And I said, Lord, if there's anything in my life that's unpleasing to you, please show me what it is. But at the end of the 21 days, there was no condemnation, but there was no comfort either. It felt as if heaven was silent. But I remember my first night in the psychiatric hospital. I had no, I was, I'm in a room, there's no locks, they take away everything you could hurt yourself with. I remember thinking this morning, I was trusted with a national television show. Tonight, I'm not trusted with a hairdryer. Um, but the only two words I could squeeze out that night were simply these, help me. And I discovered the truth that our brother, the psalmist David, wrote in Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are 
crushed in spirit. I really believe that God took me to a prison to set me free. Sheila, you've also talked about how it's possible to be well-known and at the same time, desperately lonely. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey out of loneliness? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. When I worked at the Christian Broadcasting Network, um, all the staff there knew you could come into my office and tell me anything you were struggling with. And it would never go any further than the two of us on our knees at the throne of grace and mercy. But I would never have dreamt of reaching out and asking for help because I believed that God's love for me was based on me getting everything right. So though I was well known through television, I was desperately lonely. I had such a wall built up around my heart because I think somehow deep inside I thought, if my father who once really loved me could suddenly seem to hate me, then that has to be possible. It has to be something that everybody in my family knew. Until the very last day, the only person my father ever physically attacked was me. He never touched my brother, never touched my sister. And so it made me think, even though no one said anything, did everybody see that there was something wrong with me? And it really took having my greatest nightmare come true. I mean, when I was growing up, I remember an uncle saying to me once, Sheila, you're just like your dad. And I think he meant you sing like your dad, but I heard there's a crack in your soul like your father. And one of these days, no matter how fast you run, it's going to catch up with you. Sheila, I can hear um, the, the health in your voice with regard to your understanding of the gospel and the grace of God and, and refocusing your perspective on who you are in Christ rather than who you think you have to be to win the favor of God, your Father in heaven. But there, it seems to me that, that it would not be difficult to hear those old voices even today and to slip back into those old ways of thinking. Are there things that you have to continually remind yourself of day after day to stay in a healthy place? You know, one of my dearest friends before she died was Ruth Graham, Billy's wife. And sometimes when Billy would be off out of town, I would go to the house and stay with her. And she said to me, Sheila, when you're studying something, don't just, I mean, dive deep into God's word. But then when you come to other reading, don't just read what's current. Go as far back as you can and read what our brothers and sisters have said during the centuries because they've left a roadmap. And I read this amazing thing by a man called Athanasius. He lived in the fourth century. And he said, whereas most of scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. So what I do every single day, I did it today, I go outside on this little balcony where we live and I read three Psalms out loud because it's so good for my ears to hear what my eyes are reading. And it's like a declaration of this is what's true no matter what I'm feeling. I love that. Getting wisdom from our brothers and sisters from long ago who have been through incredibly difficult things and then actually speaking those words back to God in the form of a prayer is, is so healing. And um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Sheila, would you speak to somebody right now who may be in the throes and the depths of depression, struggling just to, to get through another day? How can you encourage them? First of all, I would want to say to you, you're not alone. There are so many who struggle but are afraid to talk because the enemy wants you to feel condemned. But remember, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, I would say, 
talk to the Lord, process your pain in the presence of your Father. That's what the psalmist David did. And if you think about Christ on the most difficult night of his life, as he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, sweating blood, he processed his pain in the presence of his Father. Tell God the whole truth. Come as you are. And then don't be afraid to get help. There's some wonderful help available. And find a couple of safe sisters or safe brothers that you can be yourself with and will pray for you and hold your arms up when you're too weak to stand. That's such good advice. And I, 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 I wonder also about people who are in positions of ministry leadership. I think even a parent is in an incredibly important position of leader, uh, leadership ministry with their children. And so what do you say to the pastor? What do you say to the, the church worker? What do you say to the public figure who is saying, I have no outlet. I have no brother or sister that I can talk to. I don't have time to, to, to process these issues. Ministry the, the train is, is, is going and I, what do they do? Find time. That is one of the greatest traps the enemy uses to make us feel like what we're doing for God is so much more important than what God might want to do in us. I don't care who you are, whether you think yourself in a very lowly position or you're in a very high position, find someone that you can tell the truth to. Take time for your own soul. Take time to be with your father. Give, give yourself space and grace to be able to receive the healing because we can only share with others as much as we have received ourselves. What do you wish people who do not struggle with depression would better understand when they see their loved ones who are, who, are, who are off the rails and it doesn't make sense to them, you know, just, just don't think that way or, or just, just pray and things will get better. What do you wish that they would know? I think there's a lot of genuine misunderstanding about mental illness. You know, if you have a brain tumor, you can show someone an X-ray and gather a prayer meeting in five minutes, but mental illness doesn't show up on an X-ray. So I think we need to all learn a little bit more. And the greatest gift you can give to someone who is struggling is the gift of your presence. So often as Christians, we think we need a million and one words and scripture verses. Just be with them and listen to them. Allow them to speak to you and you know, I have a friend who's been going through some really tough things recently, and sometimes I go and literally I've sat beside them on the floor of their bedroom for 40 minutes, and all I've done is hold her hand. Now, before I leave, I pray for her, but sometimes we're so quick with words when the gift of our presence, because I believe if you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, then when we walk into our room, the atmosphere should shift because of who lives inside of us.